0: Well, what's true masculinity? It's whatever you want it to be. As long as it's uplifting and it's positive and you feel that peace and you're bringing in your interactions with others, you're leaving it better than you, you came into it. That's real masculinity. It's whatever you want it to be.
1: You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 228. Today, we're talking about becoming the father you want to be with MJ Singletary Vilbos. welcome to the mindful mama podcast here it's about becoming a less irritable more joyful parent at mindful mama we know that you cannot give what you do not have and when you have calm and peace within then you can give it to your children i'm your host hunter Clark Fields, mindful mama mentor i help smart thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong connected relationships with their children I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Membership and course, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back, my friend. I am so glad you are here. This is an episode for the daddies out there, for fathers and for mamas too, but it's for also for fathers. So I hope that you, are dad, listening here to my words now, too. Um, In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with MJ Singletary-Vobos. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with MJ Singletary, who is a higher education professional, socioeconomics educator, and a forthcoming published author. And he's the creator of Who's That Dad? An Instagram journey of... Afro-Latinx family navigating new spaces while holding on to their heritage. And the mission of the page is to share uplifting stories of self-reflection, peace, and joy. We are going to be talking about modern fatherhood. You know, for dads who are rising up and calling BS against the old harmful paradigms of masculinity, what does the new picture look like? And so I talked to MJ about this and a lot more. I want you to listen for some important takeaways, how fatherhood was too important a job to just take the learn as you go advice, and how your ideas about masculinity are not your ideas, and that it's okay to take a break and to rest. Before we dive into this episode, I want to let you know that I will soon be opening up the Mindful Parenting Teacher Training. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com for more information about that. If you are interested in taking mindful parenting and teaching it as an in-person class in your community and sharing these ideas about how to lower your stress response and how to communicate skillfully with kids and change generational patterns to your community, go to mindfulmamamentor.com to learn more about it or email me at hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com. And now join me at the table as I talk to MJ. MJ, thanks so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast.
0: No, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate you.
1: Um, I'm excited to talk to you. And you have a really great perspective. And I just want to, I think this is this says it so well. So, you know, the, as I in, introduced the Who's That Dad Instagram page, and, and you just recently reintroduced yourself and you said, um is it okay if i read your words back to you
0: <laughs> that's perfectly fine
1: no <laughs> and you said um, hopefully there's no typos <laughs> i won't read the typos <laughs> Perfect. my first my journey to fatherhood didn't begin as rosy as these pictures my life became a horrible storm when i received the news i was going to be a dad i felt like i was not the man i wanted to be yet more importantly i desired peace Rest and direction. I wanted to break my shackles of hurt and pain to give him a life of freedom he so deserved. To me, fatherhood, especially Black fatherhood, is too important to learn as I go. I mean, that was that there's so much in that. So I would love it if you could tell us a a little bit more about that. I mean, because I, as I told you, like I really relate to becoming a parent and your life becoming a storm because everything changes, and, and, and for me at least, bringing up all these things from the past and generational patterns and all of this stuff. So I don't know if that was the same for you, but, but what, what were you talking about in there when you said, you know, your life became a horrible storm?
0: Yeah, um, I, I mean, truthfully, um, I didn't have, I mean, my mother gave the best that she could. Um, she did the best that she can to try to, to raise me, given the circumstances. Um, a lot of those circumstances were in and out of domestic violence shelters. Um, so what happened was she really pushed that education was like my ticket out, um, the ticket to more, um, and just you know, continue resilient and continue to push forward. Um, but within all that, there were still things that I think we are working on as a family and working on ourselves. Um, and then oftentimes when you're in survival mode, you don't really have time to deal with the, you know, how to be a better person, how to be more mindful, how to, you're just just trying to get through day by day, especially when you have children. Um, So the reason when I finally got to college, um, you know, I felt like I was, I felt like I was starting to gain some control of my life. Like I finally was being able to call the shots that, that, you know, past circumstances um, weren't going to Re, um, re come back into my life, um, and then what happened was my senior year of college, so about six years ago, um, that's when my current uh, partner, my wife at the time, um, she was my girlfriend, announced that she was pregnant, and um, I was very destroyed because I knew, um, you know, I know personally firsthand, you know, what happens, um, you know, when you have children, you're not ready, you're not prepared, and, and the struggles of it. Um and at the same time I didn't feel like I was, like I said, in the post, I didn't feel like I was the person I wanted to be yet. Like I I there's like there's a difference between wishing to be the man that you are and wishing to wish that you were the man that you were. And I was kind of the latter. You know, like I wasn't really putting in it. I mean, I was young and, and just trying to find myself and find my direction. Um and that's basically why that is kind of how the storm began for me as a as a person, as a and as a parent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I can totally relate to that. You, you finally get your own stuff together, right? Exactly. Like you're, you're, you're like, all right, I'm good. Like I've figured out how to get along in the world. I'm like doing okay. All this stuff happened. And then, and then, yeah. And then the the sort of turmoil that, that throws you into. So, so you, you know, obviously uh, th- things progress, the kiddo came (laughs) along (laughs) um and and what I'm just curious about like you know so you you grew up like you're you were in and out of domestic violence shelters that's a that's an incredibly difficult childhood that's definitely survival mode um you I'm curious about like what was that the father that you wanted to be and, and did you have any like role models or anything for that
0: yeah, so I've, I think, my, like I said, my mother was probably the one who held me down. She's like my role model um, for most of my life. Um, I think I've learned to be resilient and I learned to fight even to a fault um, for my life and for the things that I want just from you know her. And she's extremely witty and, and so controlled and confident. Um, I just, I always wanted to be her. I, I never, I mean, I don't remember growing up I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't remember growing up like wishing for a father figure because it, mm-hmm. I mean, in fact, like, I guess she was somewhat, somewhat superhuman to me. So, I mean, looking back, it wasn't fair to her to think of her that way, but that's kind of how she was. Mm-hmm. Um, But then I didn't really have any real male role models until probably high school. Um, you know, I, I had a, um, it was my track and field coach and my basketball coach. Um, they kind of, you know, kind of took me under their wings and like really just showed me just real masculinity. And um, and a lot of the, even though I didn't notice it at the time, I, you know, I was very passionate and I was very like, just like push forward. Just, I have to get through, I have to get through. Um, a, a lot of the things that they taught me, it's funny when trying to find myself, you come into a full circle and you learned, uh, you already had the tools that were already within you. Mm. Um, so.
1: It's like a, it's like the, it's like that movie kind of thing. It's, it's all, it's, it's within you all the time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I think exactly. No, it's so true. Um, and I think like the type of person you want to be, like at the end of the day, you, it really is already in you. You just, you know, have to figure out the tools to like, to have it come about, um, for some people, it might, there's a lot of things that might be blocking that um, on, on being just a good person or being mindful or being present or peaceful. Maybe it's finances. Maybe that that's really your hurdle, Brock. Um, maybe it's people in your life. Maybe it's, your you know, not happiness in your career there's, or so many other situations. But I totally, you know, all jokes aside, I totally believe it's just like the movie, like the things that you're looking for things that you want to be, like you already you already are that person. You just have to tap into it.
1: I I agree completely. I agree that within each of us there is this center core of like peacefulness and presence and Mm -hmm. you know just really fully one with everything. Kind of, you know, that's like at the center of all of us. It's it's all the layers of of strategies we put on top, like survival strategies that are on top that that cover that up, that interior gold.
0: Oh, so true. Totally.
1: Yeah. So what, what was that, your, your track and field coach here, uh, they showed you what you said real masculinity was like, what, what is, what was it that you, as you came into this place, like you're in this place of fatherhood, it's impending. Did you do some soul searching about what, what, what was the father you wanted to be? What kind of father you wanted to be, and, and what what were some of the characteristics of that?
0: Definitely a lot of soul searching, um, just like in the post that you shared. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the sentences I I discussed that like fatherhood was too too important to me to just leave it up to to chance. Um, and I know a lot of parents, I know it's a very personal topic, so I I'm not trying to like influence anyone on how to think. Um, it's just a lot of in the beginning, when I first had the news and I was reaching out for help, reaching out for information, a lot of people were just like, Oh, you'll just learn on the go, you'll learn on the go. And I was scared of that notion because I'm like, Well, I research my house, I research my cars, I research <laughs> <laughs> I research my fitness plans, like, you know what I mean? Like these very these things are, you know, I mean, they're meaningful, but compared to a child, they mean nothing. And we go through, we go through all the avenues to make sure we're making the right choice. And then when as soon as it's time to bring a human being into life, we're like, oh, I'll just go with how it goes. And I was like, that scared me. So I was like, well, um, you know, oftentimes you just, if you don't actively try to be, um, to tap into that kind of person and be a better person, you're just going to repeat what your parents did and your parents are repeating what their parents did and it goes so on and so on and so on. And I was like, I don't want to make that mistake and repeat a lot of those past mistakes that my family did well-meaning things that just, you know, that unfortunately were harmful. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're totally right. I did go to soul searching. Uh, I, I, I mean, a lot of my family members thought I went crazy. Like I, I was, um, you know, I grew up in a very conservative Christian household. Um, so I was like definitely um, you know, flirting with different religions and like staying up late at night, reading different texts, just trying to figure out, just trying to find some type of peace and some type of purpose. Um, and I think what really hit it for me was, I, but I had hard times trying to wrap around some of the concepts um, of these, these beings, these superior beings and some of their beliefs. And um, you know, I think what finally, you know, what finally uh, did it for me was, um, you know, I, I came across um, a Buddhist text. I, I'm probably going to butcher his name, but it's like Tich Nhat Han.
1: Tich Nhat Han. Um, yeah. Tich Nhat Han. He's he's uh, one of the first teachers I ever read, and I've I've been on retreat with him in person. Yeah.
0: Get out of here! Really.
1: Yeah. This oh, last retreat awesome. in the United States, it was amazing. I took my daughter that's when crazy. she was six, actually, when she was your son's age.
0: Oh my God, that's awesome. But yeah, so it was between him and like James Baldwin. They're like kind of like <laughs> <laughs> those two like like kind of helped me just um find peace and reconstruct who who I was and the person I kinda of be because it was it got pretty bad. Like the first few months I was doing everything I can to be present, but I was like, like my parents, you know, normally turn to alcohol to help cope with their problems, which, you know, I, I'm not here to judge anyone. Like I get it. Like sometimes times is rough. Like you got to do what you're going to do. Um, but I did, you know, and I, I turned to those same methods to try to help me out. And, um, it just wasn't helping i mean it wasn't and um I, much as it tasted really good but mentally it just wasn't mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't getting me to where i wanted to get to as a father and like each day kept inching closer and closer and closer to who he wanted to be Who i'm mean, sorry to who he was uh, you know coming to the world so um you know just finally after searching through all these different texts and you know being a very gracious patron to my library i came across these two books and that kind of like started it all for me like i just it just everything picked up from there wow
1: oh, that's that's amazing i wonder what Thich Nhat Hanh book it was do you remember
0: <laughs> um so it was peace is every step
1: peace is every step that's a great book
0: <laughs> yeah and then like i um and then i bought what i was like the the mini pocket ones like the mini penguin pocket series uh-huh. it was like it's like a pocket of like all his what they believe were like his best writings yeah um so and I that kind of like I just studying that and and, um, and then like that led me to yoga and then that those two principles challenged to like like a lot of the hypocrisies in my heart mm-hmm. um like for example I felt like I'm, I'm trying to be the best Person for my sons. what does that mean for other sons, for other daughters? And um, I started that. Who I am as a person today um, is really influenced re- by how I feel about my children. So, um, like for example, I became a pescatarian. You know, I mean, I knew everybody knows about climate change and those. And yes, it's very important. But it wasn't enough to like change my habits, my living habits. But like when I have kid, when I had my kids, and I started to question, like, oh my God, look what it's doing to kids who look like my kids. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just, I just felt like I was a hypocrite to continue de- doing certain things um, and believing a certain paths, um, even if it doesn't like benefit, you know, I mean, affect me right now and then. And just so I mean, but you gotta. I also had to like sometimes put a taper at it because then if you push it too far and you're like, you're going to go crazy. So, but yeah, that's kind yeah, of how it yeah. began for me.
1: Ba- baby steps. I mean, but it sounds like, you know, becoming a father for you, it sounds like in a big way, it was like a, it was like a spiritual crisis, right? Like it was, it was like a moment of reckoning. Who, who am I? Who do I want to show up as in the world? And you really had a, a great, you know, understanding right away that, who you are matters so much more than what you say, and you know, et cetera. Like that, your modeling of how to be of the person, you know, of, of modeling a good per- to be a good person in this world for your son is the most important thing that matters.
0: Oh, definitely. That you put it so eloquently and simply. That's that's really the, the situation I was in. It was like, who I, who am I? And um and then at the end of the day, if you don't know who you are, then make who you want to be. And I think that's that's kind of how I, I started.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah. Like who you are in so many ways is like who what what you do every day, you know, what what you do every day is what makes up your life. And and mm-hmm. I think that's part of something that you really exemplify in your In your Instagram feed, which is kind of funny to say that, I think for me, because I don't think of like an Instagram feed as, like <laughs> as a uh, you know as a a deeper thing in some ways than that, like that, but it is for you,
0: yeah, no, I totally agree yep um i I always say to my wife that I want my Instagram not to not to um I wanted it to be an extension of who I am and i want it to be real um but I'll, i don't want it to like tell me what to do you know how some people like everything they do or whatnot is like based off of an instagram post. Mm-hmm. i'm like I'm, I'm gonna go here or i'm gonna do this because i can get a good picture or i can post this or i can say that and i was like no i wanted i just want to live my life and i want to keep continuing to push myself and find out who i really am and i want instagram just to showcase that um. So, you probably, like, you'll probably notice that some of my Instagram posts are hopeful and, and mindful, but some of them are, are questioning. Uh, you know, I, and the same thing that I, I, I try to give to a lot of people who follow me, I try, you know, I'm giving to myself, like, that same level of accountability, but at the same time, that same peacefulness to just meet you where you are.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, I don't know, from what I've seen, I think you're an encourager, you know? you're You're saying, you, you know you're using this feed to be uh, someone who encourages others to just really be be present and and to to live fully,
0: oh, totally. I mean that's what my goal is, hopefully. um at the end of the day, you know i I just want that for people that you know just to be who you want to be and, and and to find it and and find some type of peace. And that's why I was saying. Um, And the recent post was like, I want something, I mean, I know it can't be tangible, tangible, but I want I want you to take away something, something that you can take and bring back to your family, bring back to your loved ones. Um, you know, some of my posts are like, hey, you know, they're based off how I'm feeling. So sometimes I might share that. So maybe if I'm having a hard night, I might put in a post, I know you're having a hard night. And it's like, there's probably nobody I might be following having a hard night. But I'm hoping that if someone's having a hard night, the same way I'm trying to encourage myself to push through. I want to encourage you to, you know, to push through too, based off of these things.
1: Yeah, and I can't help but personally be attracted to your Instagram posts because you uh, live in Connecticut, and I grew up in Rhode Island. (laughs) And you spend you have these great images of like museums and going hiking, and uh, and of my, as I told you, my my favorite room in the world in the uh, Rhode Island School of Design Museum in Providence. There's this. Probably looted from some poor temple way back when, but this like 20 <laughs> foot Buddha that's one, my favorite room in the world. <laughs> it's
0: no, it's, yeah,
1: it's so attractive.
0: So, um, I love New England. You know, I I grew up most of my life in New England, um, probably like my late middle school, high school years, I um lived in Ohio. Um, and then after that, I moved back, to, I intentionally said, I do not like the Midwest. Um, you know, thanks to track and field, I had the opportunity to travel a lot of places in the country. Um, but my heart has always been set in New England. So I, I when I had the opportunity to run back, I, I ran until it's, it's arms open wide, like, please take me back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I totally, I'm with you. I love New England. I just love to, especially in like Connecticut or Rhode Island, like it's such a small space, but you can get everything. Like you can be in the city, you can be in the beaches, you can be in literally the Appalachian Mountains within all like an you know, hour or two hour span.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and and not to like geek out and go on too much of a tangent on New England, <laughs> but you know, if you're a pescatarian, then you've got some probably got some great seafood loves and 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 I don't understand. I'm sorry, dear Mid-Atlantic, where I live right now, but why no one includes the belly in their fried clams anywhere but New England? What is this <laughs> clam strip thing? I don't even understand. It's pointless.
0: It really is. It's just mainly breading. Like, okay, I'm, playing, I'm paying you, what, 15, 20 bucks for, you know, fried breading with pepper on it. It's just like, okay, thanks. Thanks.
1: Give me the whole belly clams and a big <laughs> shout out to Quitos in Bristol, Rhode Island. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, from my own experience, R- Rhode Island, Connecticut are pretty white places. Like, there's a really big white majority, and and there's like you know, I grew up l- learning just barely some of the terrible history of my hometown um and that's not really taught very well do you feel as a black man like well you know welcome and com- I mean obviously you feel comfortable as your home but you know what I mean like there's it just seems like it I from what I've seen of you know Connecticut and Rhode Island it just is very it's not it's it's a fairly undiverse place as what from what I've seen that is
0: very true um you know, working, uh, at um, At a, at a u- institution at a university, I see it all the time. Um, just from a, like a statistical level, I mean, I guess, I guess in the last census, like only six percent of the Connecticut population was Black people, um, and that's pretty that's pretty the roundabout for most of New England. I mean, until recently, Vermont used to have an asterisk because they didn't have enough Black people to put on a, on a report. Wow. I think also, yeah, and to make it things even more difficult was that. Um, so, being, I'm, I am a African American, but I am also a um, uh, Latino. My my family is from Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. so it was very tough. It's very difficult because, when they talk about not just in Connecticut but like all over the country, a lot of Latinos say on the census that they're not Latino; that they're they're white. Um, so, like the num, you you were right. There isn't enough. Enough, uh, you know, representation or enough. Um, I guess, I guess, you know, positive images going around in the state on how things are. So it is pretty white, and and at times, even amongst you know white liberals, it can get it can get pretty hard.
1: Yeah, yeah, I bet.
0: You know, like James Baldwin um, discusses in like it's one of the movies, I'm not your I'm not your Negro, um, but also and a few of his other writings that, he, you know, he believes, which I totally agree with, that sometimes white liberals can be more harmful um, to the cause or to black people than, you know, the Southern conservative um, white people, just because that at least in the North, in the South, you know where you stand. And mm-hmm. you, when you know where you stand, you know what you can do. You know how you, there's more opportunities to move up because you know where you stand. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you look at statistical data today, um, you know, when they always talk about Atlanta or the South is like, I mean, if you can deal with racism, at least I mean, you at least have the opportunity to move up the ladder. Um, but in the, in the North, you know, they're, you know they're, they're welcoming, they're smiling, they're happy, but, you know, they, it's systematically, you know, things are set in place to prevent you from, from moving up. Um, like, even in my career field in higher ed, less than 3% of, of the entire higher education of full-time staff and faculty is uh, people of color.
1: Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I mean, I've definitely grew up like hearing racism from people in my town, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely there. It's there in the, in the Northeast, unfortunately. And, um and I'll, yeah. And I guess uh, I've been learning, you know, we're all kind of like, I think a lot of people all over the world are waking up to like the, any kind of internalized racism we have. Right. And like, I'm kind of, learning about the, you know, that idea that, like, the the defensiveness, like, like, I'm not a racist is, like, is, you know, it, this, there's kind of, like, you know, it's almost, it's, there's this, I'm sure there's that feeling in a lot of places, and it's almost better to, like, acknowledge that, you know, we, we all have these, I, you know, racist ideas in us, because this is the culture, this is the soup that we're in, just in the same mm-hmm. way, like with parenting, we talk about parenting, that like that authoritarian, these expectations we have of kids and different things. This is just the soup that we're in. And it's not our fault that maybe these thoughts and ideas are in our heads, but we can be conscious of them and just having that awareness can be part is part of is the, the most essential step in that, in that level of change to start change.
0: Agree? No, I totally understand. Um, you no, know, like I, I don't like mean to always quote James Baldwin. I just, like I said, he's one of the, <laughs> but he says the same thing in the book called "The Fire Next Door." In um, that book, helped me to forgive my parents um, because he talks about how like oftentimes your parents or people, um, in one of the letters to his nephew, he's saying that they're well-meaning. Um, they, you know, they, they mean well, and the thing they say or do. Um, But what happens is they're just, they may may say things in person, but it's really what their actions are sharing. Um, So oftentimes, you know, they, parents or or people are are trying to have positive conversations or trying to have, um, you know, conversations about how to, you know, not to show racial or implicit or explicit biases or how to, you know, be caring and loving in the world. Um, but they're we well, they don't even realize it, but subconsciously their actions stay differently, and mm-hmm. our children pick up on it. And then what happens is the next generation we do the same thing, and then the next generation we do the same thing, and then it just gets. And then you know we don't even without realizing it and really trying until we actively try to say I'm going to change myself to do better. Um, you know that's how the, it just continues and continues.
1: Yeah, we're just repeating those generational patterns in this this larger sense. So you know, a lot of, a lot of us are like waking up to the fact that we need to be talking about racism with our kids. Like we need to be talking about, about what, talking about it with our kids at from a very young level age, uh, um, there's a book about anti-racism, a board book that's coming out by, um, Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I'm wondering if, is that, and I know for, um, for a lot of people that's difficult you know for um for for white families they often feel like i you know i just gonna raise my kids to be good people and we're not gonna talk about this but then we inadvertently teach our kids like that this is something that's so terrible that we can't even talk about it you know um i'm wondering is this something is this something you're talking about with your your sons And, and they're they're young right like how old are they and and is it something you're talking to them about with them? And, and maybe how are you having those conversations, if so?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember when I first had my first conversation about it, I was like four or five years old. And my mother had it with me because we were being followed at a CVS in yeah. East Harper, Connecticut. Um, so, you know, I know it's we had it at a very young age and we've always had it and, and as it involved, like, a sense of your freedom is taken from you because like you know, you get constantly told oh you can't do these things you can't do that you know stuff that you you know especially living in Connecticut you know your counterparts are doing you see them doing and they're they're living freely and your parents are telling you not to do it because they know from experience um, both from historical and personal what it can mean so to be honest Probably since my, before my child was even trying to lift his head, um, my oldest was trying to lift his head, me and my wife was actively trying to strategize, you know, how do we ensure that he's going to grow up proud to be who he is, proud um, of both being Black and both being Latino, um, proud of his culture, his heritage, and, and more importantly, proud of his own identity to be free and who he wants to be. So we've been started at an extremely early age. And um, so our take on on how we're trying to do these conversations is that we haven't even started the slave talk. Um, if you look at schools or parents or, or whatever the case may be, they always want to start with the slave talk. And the history of, of people of color um, goes well, well beyond um, than the American slave trade. Um, so we try to empower our two sons by uh, teaching lessons about, you know, the the many great things that their ancestors has done um mm-hmm. to push to for the fight for their equality or a lot of the first things that they've done. Um, you know, about the creation of their language, of this, you know, we're bilingual family, um, Spanish was created by black Moors. Um we try, you know, we try to get them to be very proud of who they are, you know. We talk about, when they ask questions of history, we tell them, you know, from a truthful standpoint, like, this is what it looks like, um, you know, we we show them positive representations of, of Black heroes and, and Latinx heroes. Um, like, for example, my son wants to be an astronaut because Leland Melvin um, was a former NASA astronaut and engineer, um, and on top of that, he was the first person um, to be drafted into the NFL and visit space, wow. you know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, so we're we're we haven't taken the slayer approach yet. We're just trying to focus on just building self-confidence, um, you know, proud of their hair texture, proud of their skin, proud of who they are. Um, and that's right. the motive.
1: sorry, I'm sorry. no, just telling all kinds of stories. I love that that approach, mm-hmm. right? because uh, it's it's very similar to like, you know, a lot of us have been. I've been really conscious with my girls of giving them really positive stories of females in history. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's, it's, it's a, it makes sense. It's a similar kind of approach. My, my sister-in-law is uh, is Senegalese and she, she gave us this book, Africa is not a country. So we had all these stories, of <laughs> all the countries in Africa that my kids love this book. They, it's a good book. I would recommend it. But sure. uh, you know, anyway, just, I love this, this idea of, like, let's uh, let's be real at as, as some point about what's happening, but let's also tell these positive stories too. Like, that's, that's an important, I think that's an important step, like, for anyone maybe who's wondering how to start these conversations. Maybe we just start with these positive stories.
0: No, I agree. Um, I totally, you know, when you, you can look at research, it shows that, like, um, that, you know, parents, they, they're a positive force in trying to compact. Um, combat prejudice in their children. Um, and some of the ways that they suggest to do that is that parents, you know, have to take a more active role in supporting, um, like diff- crossways and social economic friendships. Um, you know, th- not just in their children, but also in themselves. And it also talks about like you know positive um, reading books and and sh- and watching TV shows and movies that show people of color. Um, or people of different socioeconomic classes in a positive light. Um, and you know those are definitely ways to like help start the conversations or help to deal with some of the prejudices or biases that you know that we might have as people, and you know to try to avoid them and pass it down to our, our children. Um, but no, I, I totally agree with that. I, mean, I can't be naive though. I, I definitely want to put disclaimers like, yeah, I'm doing all I can to push that my kids live freely. It definitely does take a lot of behind the scene work for me. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I'm gracious for my job. I know a lot of parents, parents of colors may not have the opportunity, but I'm gracious because of my job, that I I get to make sure that I'm actively involved in my child's school. Um, you know, I do a, I do, I do this thing called the book test. Every time I visit a, a different teacher's classroom um, that my son is gonna be in, and I say, okay, well, how many? I try to look at how many books are, are children of color, positively represented. And more often than not, there's more animals or or shapes than there are children of color in books. And then you know you bring those are like the little lights that we can do as parents to like try to use our privileges and try to use our power um, that we have to make sure to advocate for fair treatment of racialized and I'm sorry, racially uh, marginalized groups or groups of people or different socioeconomic.
1: I know. I love that step. I think that's such an easy step. Like as the world has been kind of going crazy and I've been thinking, you know, there's so much happening. And I've been thinking about what's a step that I can take. I don't feel comfortable to go into a march right now with the coronavirus and (laughs) stuff going on, but I'm like, I'm buying books and donating them to the, my library in my little community. Um, The, that everybody can use. And then that could be a step that we could take dear listener. Like for your school, you could buy books for your kid's grade level and maybe not even just for your home, but you could buy some books for your kid's classroom and just give them as a gift to your kid's teacher. Like, here are some books that, um, that can be more diverse. I love that.
0: Agree. Yeah, I totally, I definitely agree with that hundred um, percent. Cause especially a lot of the, my personal experiences can definitely open eyes to what's going on you know sometimes my child is the only uh black kid in his class he's the only child of color in his, 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 his in his classroom and he's one of two in his grade of like five or six kindergarten classes and um you know when i i did the same thing at, to donate books i i also sit in and read books and you should you know definitely a lot of the, the children at five four or five six year old the things that they're saying they mean so well um, and the teachers oftentimes get embarrassed, but it's because you know what's the conversations are not happening at the home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I totally agree that you know you may not want to march. I trust me. I don't. I'm not out marching either. Um, but there's other ways t- um, to 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 help fight these battles, and every single way is important. Every single way matters. Um, so I totally agree with you that that's an awesome idea. To if you're trying to start anywhere, just start there.
1: Yeah yeah I I listener dear listener I want you to if you feel like doing that with me just like tag me and let me know or tag MJ and let him know and we'll we'll donate we'll donate some books to to some classrooms I love that so I want to shift a little to talk about um talk a little bit about like the idea you talk you talk about masculinity and we've had some people talk about masculinity and and that's also in in a crisis right in this Mm -hmm. world there's like this like man box that like men are you know there's this this feeling that you know men can't show emotion have any vulnerability all these different things and you you write about that a little bit um do you mind if i read something again yeah, go for it. Okay, you wrote like together we're creating our own dogma on masculinity. Love for ourselves, love for others, sensitivity, vulnerability, power, strength, nature, nurture, a trinity. And uh, these are just obviously some sort of some some thoughts thrown out there and to me they're thoughts that I really resonate but I don't think that's um you know, that I think the, that can be a challenging stance to, to, to many men and many fathers and a hard place to get to from where a lot of people are. So maybe could you talk to me a little bit about that? How you, how you, how you um, have developed these, your ideas about, about what, what is like this real masculinity, right? Or what is this masculinity you want to show your boys?
0: Yeah, um, I'm glad for the question. You know, a lot of times I tell my students that, like, your ideas of masculinity, they're not your ideas. And it's like, go to the root. Like, who taught you these ideas? Um, You know, like Malcolm X says, who taught you to hate yourself? Mm. Who taught you, who taught you, um, you know, to you got to be this way, you got to feel that way. It's like, okay, well, my parents did. Okay, where your parents learned that? And then where they learned that? And then you get to the bottom of it. And it's like, okay, it's either some type of survival skill that goes way back to some type of oppression, or it's, you know, um, I guess media consumption on on how men are supposed to behave. Um, especially in terms of like, um, in terms of, uh, you know, in music. It's like, well, you know, if you look at, like okay, people people are always taking shots at hip-hop music. But, you know, if, let's be honest, like, the original hip-hop music did not sound very similar to what it is today. Um, it didn't sound like this until record labels of, you know, rich executives who got into this and said, no, this is the message that you need to share. These are the things that you need to say. This is how we're making money. And, those, you know, that those type of ideas, whether it be music or television or media, you know, we didn't come up with these ideas as as a contract, a social contract. We did people in, you know, people who are calling the shots, people who in control are. And I tell, so I tell my students all the time is you have to figure out how to break apart from those ideas. So then you can figure out for yourself, well, what, what kind of man do I want to be? Um, What kind of, what kind of ideas of masculinity do I want to hold on to? And when you, and at the root of it, when you speak to most people, most men, their ideas of masculinity, or toxic masculinity, or the ideas that men are supposed to be, it's harmful to them too. Mm-hmm. Um, it hurts them, their feelings too, you know, like, oh, men have to be strong. Men have to be this. Well, you know, a lot of men say, what if I can't get physically strong? Does it make me less as a man? Or, you know, what, well, I don't have a deep voice, or I don't look this way. I'm not tall. Or, you know, I don't, I don't have these ideas that you guys have. And so it affects them too. And when you, so when you when you cut down those ideas, you realize that ideas of what it is to be yourself, what it is to be masculine, are no different than what it is to be a feminist or what or know what it is to be a great person. They all they're all the same thing. They all want the same thing. I, I want to be loved, and I want to give love. I want to live freely. I want to be at peace. Um, you know, I want to do the things that I want to do. Um, I want to uplift others. I want to help others. You know, like every, when you, when you get past those ideas, you cut through that grass, you realize that true masculinity is no different than just being a a true human, a true person.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way, you know, you're saying that, like, these are survival skills, strategies that go back to oppression, and, and that, that's true. Like, you're, if you, if you feel like you have to you're in a system that where you feel like you have to oppress others or be oppressed, you're, you're not free. You know what I mean? Like if you have to dominate your children, or if you have to teach your children to dominate others, to be empowered, then they're not free to be who they are. They, they have to be this, this other thing. They, they have no real freedom or power if they have to force themselves into this thing and to to kind of step outside that is actually a, a real freedom
0: exactly i totally agree um it is it does feel like a real sense of freedom and because you know at the end of the day it really is a real sense of freedom you know i think at the end of the day well what's true masculinity it's whatever you want it to be as long as it's uplifting and it's positive and and um you feel that peace and you're bringing um, and in, in your interactions with others, you're bringing, you know, a, be, uh, a, pot, a better sense. Um, you're leaving it better than you, you came into it. That's real masculinity. It's whatever you want it to be. And I think that's what I'm trying to show my kids. is like, you know, definitely like being confident. Uh, that's no, that's, you should teach your daughters that just like you teach your sons that like, oh, you being, you know, being uh, assertive or being um, a go-getter or, or whatever, whatever ideas that you try to, that people, I'm sorry, not you, but, people try to say, oh, this is what men should be like. That's what you should be teaching everyone, no matter what their, um, you know, their gender, gender identity is. Like, those are ideas of what people should try to aspire to, to for the betterment of society. And that's the kind of messages I'm trying to, you know, just uh, gently share with my children to become like, hey, whatever you want to be, that's, that freedom is true masculinity.
1: Mm. I love that. Like I my <laughs> I feel really touched in my heart just like hearing that cuz yeah hear. I think we hear so much about the the problem and the way people suffer and I think what MJ are offering is like the opportunity, you know, like what's the possibility and that's really beautiful. No,
0: I, I totally I agree and um that's what I'm I'm hoping to offer, you know, we, we touch other areas like for example that's what I'm just trying to just bring to others and, and mainly by first bringing it to my my family, first bringing it to myself too, you know mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's just you know everything you, you you expect from other people you you know, also have to you know, give it yourself you know mm-hmm. just not just because it's it's just it's a better sense of your identity a better sense of your family than things of that nature
1: so you are practicing to bring these things to yourself. How do you, how do you take care of yourself to nurture, you know, to kind of like water these good seeds and to water this like beautiful intention that you have? How do you make it a a daily practice, a weekly practice to, uh, to, to water these good seeds?
0: Um, like me personally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, um, I think for me personally, I, I try to just do things that I enjoy, um, and that I try to use those things that I enjoy sometimes by myself, sometimes with my family, um, you know, sometimes with, um, especially with my children, even when I don't want to, like I'm, if I'm too tired, I try to do the best I can, and, you know, they want to be involved, have them involved, and, and personally, their sense of energy is such a joke. You know, sometimes at night it's time to go to bed, and I'm like, man, I wish they were up because they just bring such a such a liveliness to things. Um, so it's like, well, how do I continue to water that that those beliefs or the ones that you share? It's just, you know, just being honest with myself, um, being holding myself accountable. You know, Trying to do a temperature check at the end. Of it. I do that often at the end of the night. Um, I also do. I try to. I have my app, my phone, just set up to send me a reminder every day at two o'clock. I'm just touching to myself and like, because sometimes I realize that if I'm having a really rough day or if I start off having a really rough morning, if I don't get a hold of myself or I don't get up, if I don't tap, like let it go, it just kind of like carries me through the whole day. You're just riding on this numbness. This is, And then you realize, but if I tap in and say, like, oh no, wait a second, let me let this feeling go. Let me, I can reset the day, I can reset the moment. Um so I think for first and foremost for me, that's probably the most important thing I do daily is just constantly checking in, okay, what can I do differently? How can I be a better person? How can I be a better father? Um, how can I let this thing go or let that go? And being um, and, you know, and, and it's okay to take breaks. it's okay to take rest. I know, especially a lot late recently with social media, it's like you you feel like if you take a rest with all the silver unrest going on that you're not a good person. it's like, no, 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 if you need if you need to take a break to be with your family, you need to take a break to. Re- your own emotions about everything that's going on, you need to do it so you can make sure you're performing at peak, um, that you're performing at your peak. And I just try to hold, those are probably my most important ideas on how I make sure that I'm at my peak every day as a person and as a father.
1: Mm. MJ, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. And I, I really appreciate your voice and your perspective and um yeah i'm so i'm so happy to i want the listener to go over and of course check out uh mj's instagram feed and um it, is there anywhere else you want the the listener to go or you want them to connect with you
0: no right now um it's just my instagram feed um you know i'm like i said i'm just i'm working on things slowly um because i'm not trying to expand drastically to like, oh, make, make, make money or do this, do that. I'm just trying to figure out how can I touch people, um, influence people, you know, the best, best of my ability. So.
1: All right. So go to MJ's Instagram feed. If you listened and you want to check in and, and, uh, and tell them what you think. I really appreciate what you're doing, the work that you're doing and the, the presence that you are. Um, thank you so much, MJ
0: no totally i i mean i get the circumstances and how we met um but i'm i'm so blessed to have come across you come across your page it's it's, i'm i'm glad that i that you're in my life and i hope we continue to just to grow off each other um so once again just thank you for giving the opportunity to be on the show
1: thank you so much for listening i love what mj has to say about the possibilities of modern modern fatherhood it's so exciting to think about these new generations of dads doing things a different way and and that you don't have to be in that that man box and I loved um, talking to him about it. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do share it, like, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, take a screenshot of it and, and text it to your mom or your dad or your friends and uh, share this resource. It's the best way that the Mindful Mama podcast gets out there. And, um, and uh, also if you're interested in learning about the Mindful Parenting teacher training, Go to mindfulmamamentor.com. And for all the daddies out there, I'm wishing you a beautiful Father's Day. Hope you have some joy and peace and reflection and all the wonderful things in the world that you like. So, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so, feel really honored that, you know, if you're listening to my voice right now, you're here all the way to the very end. And I, I feel honored that you're sharing your the, your precious commodity of your time. With me, and I don't take that honor lately. I really appreciate you, and I'm, I wish you all the best. And I'll be back at you next Tuesday. Namaste. Are you a mom who wants to feel less stressed and enjoy motherhood more? Do you want to be calmer with your kids and be more present for life? I've gone from being stressed and yelling to become more grounded more at ease and have more enjoyable, cooperative relationships with my kids, I'm going to show you how to do it too. If you currently feel stuck or stagnant, this is for you. I've created a free downloadable audio training, mindfulness for moms, the superpower you need. It will show you how to respond rather than react, how to let go of stress and feel more grounded in seconds, how to have a smoother day today and become more present for your kids. To get this absolutely free, simply visit the website, mindfulmomguide.com. That's mindfulmomguide.com. Get started with mindfulness, the superpower moms need. I'll see you there.